0: What's up, guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. Joining me on tonight's episode, we've got returning special guest, Corey LeBeau. What's going on, Corey? How you doing, man? I
1: am doing all right. How are you doing, bud?
0: Pretty good. No complaints over here. Man time flies. Just seems like know, uh, right? just the other day that I had you on, talking about the summer, back in July, and looking into the season, and here we are already uh, eight games in.
1: Eight games in, and already in a full fledged panic, Sam. The championship is is been torn to bits. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. But sometimes it feels that way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we got a lot to to dig in here. You kind of already set the tone a little bit. I, I'm sure that there's, you know, a lot of scrutiny for the Warriors expectations coming back as as the defending world champs off to a three and five start. Very, very, very far from ideal. Already a three game losing streak. That the Warriors are in the midst of very disappointing losses to Charlotte and Detroit. Tough loss to Miami last night. Two more games mm-hmm. left on this road trip. Klay uh, Thompson expected to sit out one of those games. Um, I think everyone's going to be available for the game in Orlando tomorrow on Thursday. And then Friday, it's the back-to-back against New Orleans.
1: Oof. Would you have thought, Sam, at the beginning of this road trip that they would be 0-3 at this point?
0: No. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a slow start for the Warriors this season, but sitting at 3-2 uh, and two and having this road trip against competition, like we just said, Charlotte, Detroit, um, Miami, well, Miami's a good team. Orlando, we'll see tomorrow that we'd be writing the ship a little bit or opportunity to write the ship. So, man, Charlotte's just turned into the new San Antonio as far as the away, away game that we just can't seem to win. It's like four years in a row now <laughs> of this just absolute meltdowns in Charlotte. And it's always got the Steph Curry you know, Davidson, hometown, Mm -hmm. good vibes, and ends with a super sour taste in everyone's mouth. The games usually go to overtime and just not the desired result, it seems, in in several years now.
1: Honestly, I mean, I think you're highlighting it, too. It is the Steph Curry. It's like the hometown reunion. The energy is just crazy. It probably leads to some of these, like, you know, surprising losses there. I think, you know, they had a four-point lead going into, like, the final minute. They end up losing that game. Draymond at the podium was talking about how they never lose that game. Like, they, they just don't lose those kinds of games. And someone ran the numbers, probably someone at the Athletics, and they saw that after only four times has it happened in the Steve Kerr era. Have they lost a game with, like, a four-point lead with a minute to go? And two of them are in Charlotte. Just yep. insane
0: behavior. Yep. You have that game where um oh man, I am blanking on his name, our previous backup point guard that we ended up trading midway through the season, that everyone was just
1: mm. Wanamaker.
0: Yes, thank you. Brad Wanamaker, yeah. The Brad Wanamaker just holds on to the ball um and ends up being a turnover. You just could have got fouled or dribbled it out, whatever. Um, Yeah, and that's a Charlotte team that's missing Lonzo Ball and Terry Rozier at starting backcourt. P.J. Washington looked like an all-star. So, But that, hey, man, that's the NBA today. You got a lot of quote-unquote rebuilding teams, but it takes something to make it in this league, and on any given night, anyone can go off. Anyone can be having it, or on the flip side, not having it. You've got a new ushering in a new era of referees. I think that there's a lot of these older established referees that are retiring or have passed away, unfortunately in the last few years. And so you've got this new age of referees that seems every night, the game is officiated a little bit differently. Not that that Mm -hmm. should ever be the reason for winning or losing, but you've just got a lot of variants and variables and you have to set yourself up to be in the best position to succeed. So um. yeah I've got a bunch of a bunch of team stats I can run through you know at this kind of eight game mark because I think it's a little bit of enough sample to start looking at some trends but before we get into all of that um, I just want to kind of hear your thoughts on you know eight games in the three game losing streak how are you feeling any noticeable trends or uh, positives or negatives that that You've kind of taken away thus far in the early going of the season. Yeah,
1: you know Sam, it's kind of the balance between the sky is falling, they're three and five they lost to two lottery teams back to back and also, hey, it's only eight games in the season they've got plenty of time to figure it out. So trying to find the right tone and I think that's what the team what the team is and what Steve Kerr's doing too is like how much of this is the team needing to just work itself into shape and build out a rhythm versus Uh oh, we might need to like actually make some, if not like actual roster changes, but you know, different schematic decisions. Like, think about this a little bit differently. And you know, you say, you were saying it's such a good point that this is the NBA, there are no easy games. And this season, I mean, the talent is everywhere. The talent is everywhere where Detroit's going to be a lottery team and they've got, you know, number one pick, Cade Cunningham. They've got a lottery pick in Jaden Ivey. They've got young, hungry talent. You've got Utah and the Spurs, who are supposed to be terrible this year, bawling out of their mind. And I think what I'm trying to hold on to before going too much into panic territory is I think this team came out maybe a little too cocky. Like, we're the champs. We know how to do this. We can handle it. And I'm not sure if they have brought the requisite effort and mental discipline to win these games. And I think this is what these last, like, especially this road trip is teaching them and we can go into more like when we talk about the stats and which players we're talking about, but like, Oh, being a defending champion requires in a game and a poise the whole way through.
0: Yeah. Those are, those are some, some really good points. Um, And I think, you know, it's also important to kind of quantify and look at, well, obviously the end result is win-loss, which is a culmination of the team effort. But when you break it into little chunks and examine different pieces, you see that <laughs> the starting lineup of Curry, Clay, Green, Wiggins, and Looney leads the NBA at, at a net rating of plus 58 in 92 minutes. Um, the, next, the next best is Toronto at plus 36 and Phoenix at plus 35. Um, on the flip side of that, we were just talking about Detroit. Detroit and Charlotte, their starting units have have a league worse in minus 33 net rating. And Man. this is just looking at uh, per stats.com for um, the starting fives. So, yeah. I mean, you, you've got this <laughs> Warriors core, right? This... Steph, Clay, Green, Wiggins, Looney, and you throw in Jordan Poole in there. When Iguodaw gets healthy come playoff time, you know, you maybe include him in that too, but his role is going to be limited at best, really just spot minutes here and there um, or a closing possession. And you've got this incredible core that I think is very effective. At least the numbers speak to their effectiveness when they're on the floor together. And then you've got this second unit full of Young players that have incredibly high ceilings, but have yet to have consistent roles. They've shown flashes at times. We saw Jonathan Kaminga play very well last season when Draymond Green missed 30 games. Um, But he's struggled thus far. And a lot of that, I think, is due to just the positional depth of the Warriors. So right now, Steve Kerr said that Kaminga's playing the four. He's really only able to play the four. And so he is third in line in the in the depth chart at the four because you've got Draymond Green and then Jermichael Green backing him up and then Jonathan Kaminga. When we've slotted Kaminga in at the three, offensively, he looks lost and defensively, he makes mistakes at best. So um, the effort hasn't been there for Kaminga, unfortunately. And we also know that Steve Kerr's way is not to just throw the young players out there and give them 30 minutes and let them make mistakes and and figure it out on the fly they want you know he wants them to earn the minutes whether it's in practice whatever um, and then be productive with the opportunity and it doesn't mean that Kaminga is expected to go out and score 15 points I think what they expect from him is to play some really hard-nosed defense and not make mistakes defensively and if he can just make the right reads and plays offensively, then that's something to build on. But if he's going to check into the game against Charlotte and like first play, or no, I think this was actually Detroit. It's like first play of the game. He checks in and um, has a pretty poor closeout against Isaiah Stewart, who just blows right past him for a layup and one. And there's just, you can't, you can't do that as a young player when you're trying to fight for your time and opportunity. And obviously that compounds the issue as a young player, you get in your head, you start overthinking things. And so there's a lot of people I'm sure who are saying, you know, Steve Kerr, what are you doing? You're killing the youth. Um, You're killing these guys confidence, but just look at Jordan Poole as an example, right? Steve Kerr gave him some tough love and he went from nearly out of the league to, you know, getting paid big bucks um, in this recent off season. So Yeah. Yeah, kind of a Sam, kind of a lot to unpack there. That second unit though, I think is is really is really where the improvement needs to be made.
1: Totally. I mean, you said the stats yourself if the starting lineup is the best in the league,
0: but there's 3 and
1: 5, that must mean the bench is being pretty atrocious. You know, Kaminga is an interesting point because they did throw him out there in that first couple games. They had this weird all-big lineup where he was at the three, Jamichael Green was at the four, Wiseman was at the five, and it was just instantly, even an opening night against the Lakers, like very clearly not the vibe. Like it didn't work. The spacing is weird. Kaminga and Wiseman have really similar roles, and I don't think Jamichael Green is not the kind of defensive – like he's he's a solid player, but he's not the kind of defensive coordinator that – You know, even Otto Porter was. He was a really smart, cerebral guy. So it was just tough. And it is so similar to the Jordan Poole situation. You know, you remember the beginning of the 2021 season where Kerr, like, ran out Pool like, as one of the first guys off the bench for a while, gave him, like, a shot, like, a week in the NBA to really see if he could do it. He struggled. And then he was kind of riding the bench until he got sent down to the G League. And then he came back up. And that was part of that great run to end that season where they almost made the playoffs in the play-in game. So I thought Kaminga had his chance and wasn't able to play well. Moody makes so much more sense in that role as the wing who can come in, who can shoot, and also just smarter on defense, even if he needs to get better. But my question is, I mean, the bench is so bad. Why can't we play Wiseman and Kaminga together if it's already going to be this bad? And I think Courage just has a lot of, Line up questions to answer because you've got all of these young guys who need time. You're trying to develop them. You need to see what you have, but it is untenable if you throw them all in together and you're evaporating these leads from the starters. And I thought the Miami game yesterday, what a perfect example of that in the first quarter, the starters played so well, they played with such urgency and then they put in the bench. And by the end of the first quarter, we were down like ten. It was such a sudden and immediate shift that yep. that can't happen, even if you're developing talent. Like that can't, because that's not good for anyone's development.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you've made you've made some good points here. So, um, you know, I think I think for Kaminga, there's plenty of opportunity, but he needs to build on it with effort and not make those silly mistakes, right? Like just those little things, like you totally. let your you let your man blow blow right past you, like, you're getting yanked. Um, Wiseman, Wiseman, I think, and Moody have the edge over the other young guys in in the pecking order at the moment, but that can change uh, at any moment. Um, And I think, you know, the Warriors are in an interesting place because, you know, you want to develop these guys, you want to see what you have and give them opportunity, but also when we talk about... The postseason and how Kerr likes to operate in the postseason, you're only really going to go seven or eight deep. So mm-hmm. you're probably not going to have a lot of playoff games where Camingo, Wiseman, Moody, all see real playing time. You know, even might just be five minutes or or seven minutes, just a little a little blow for for Wiggins or for Clay Thompson um, or for Looney. Mm-hmm. And then and then you've got like you said, Jamichael Green and DiVincenzo, who I think. Missing the last week and change with the hamstring injury has been pretty a pretty big blow. You can see just how everyone's playing in a different role. I think this is the point I wanted to make earlier. Like Last season, Kaminga's on the floor with Curry, so he's getting such easier looks. Now he's on the floor with Poole and, um, and Jermichael Green or Wiseman, um, what have you, these other second unit guys playing against potentially weaker talent, but not having the same open space to work with. In the half court, um, and because our defense has been so bad, we're not getting a lot of transition breaks. He's not getting a lot of opportunities to just get wide open dunks, or get steals and, and get breakaway plays. So it's a lot of tough contested ha- half court defense. Um, and same thing for Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole's you know being asked to lead the second unit, and I think he's doing a good job, but he's not getting as good of looks as well. Defenses are focused in on him, rightfully so. That kind of comes with the territory of getting paid. Um, you're on the top of the list of the scouting report. So, But I think this is all stuff that can get fixed. With the starting unit just crushing teams, and it's going to be up to Steve Kerr to figure out the rotations because I agree, so far the recipe of starters build up a big lead, and then we just kind of bring in everyone off the bench at the same time more or less, staggered by a few minutes, but leads just evaporate. So I think the rotations are going to change a little bit. I think Klay Thompson's min- minutes getting bumped up a little bit should help, um, but it, Curry's going to need to get creative here. We can't just have five in five out with a little bit of overlap with Curry, um, and you started to see that with Looney getting moved into the second unit. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a guessing game here as far as figuring out which combinations work or not. And then I think you made a point earlier that's that's also very valid. At what point do you just accept that that the second unit just needs time to develop and it's going to be growing pains? And you just let them play because they need the experience. And by continuing to limit their opportunities to develop, we're we're still losing games. It's not like we're we're winning games, <laughs> yeah. but Kaminga, Kaminga's not playing. Um, maybe you do just need to kind of bite the bullet, take some L's, throw them out there, and hope that there's some some improvements.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I really think going into this road trip that they thought that their starting lineup was going, their their core six, like that's what Kerr, that's what Bob Myers are saying, their core six of the starting lineup in Jordan Poole, would be able to carry a win against a Charlotte or Detroit. And it's just been pretty dramatic to see the difference. I like them, you know, you saw it a little bit in Miami, you know, other than the first quarter meltdown, like they had different rotations. The bench wasn't completely horrid after that first quarter you know they're putting looney in to start the second to be like have some defensive anchor they're moving putting in wiggins with this with the bench but yeah it's going to take some back and forth some changing and i think you're right too the dante divincenzo being injured i didn't find him super impressive in like the first couple games but you know it's the first couple games you need some time to gel with the team and he would clearly be such a nice fit to play like with the starters, too, when we need to spell Clay Thompson, when we need to like mix it up. A guy who's connective, who's really would play the Moody role, but is probably just a bit more advanced than Moody is right now because, you know, Moody is still young. So once we do get into the playoffs and we have, you know, that core six and then probably Jemichael Green and Dante DiVincenzo absolutely. They could probably win any playoff series. Like I still think that they're the favorite, but they got to make sure they're in good position to do that. So, the balance is there. I have a question for you, Sam. And we're kind Jeez. of hovering we're hovering around some of these things. I'll start with a with an easier question first before we tackle the big one, the big one. But first, you said Jordan Poole's doing a good job on the bench. My question to you, is he doing a good job <laughs> on the bench? Cuz I've been a little underwhelmed of him as like the sixth man. And I thought Miami was a big example of that. I don't know what was happening, but he's having a hard time finding his place, finding his spot. And you would think coming off of the contract, coming off of the postseason that he had that like, this is your unit and you're responsible for this, is where you get to put up numbers, where you get to get the assist in the alley to Wiseman. And he's having such a heart. I, mean, I don't know if it's an, a mental adjustment or, but it's just hard to be with the bench units because, you know, all these rookies are dragging us down. But I've been a little underwhelmed with his performance. And I think one of the things that they need to get better at is have Pool as that sixth man of the year candidate. And right now, I don't think he's anywhere close.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, Jordan's numbers are down thus far through eight games compared to his averages for last season. Uh, If we just want to hit on those real quick, last season he was 30 minutes a game, 18 and a half points, 2.8 threes, 3.5 rebounds, four assists, 44% from the field, 92% from the line, two and a half turnovers so far. This season he's at 29 minutes, 16.8 points, 2.3 threes. Uh, 1.6 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.4 steals, 44% from the field, 80% from the line, 2.9 turnovers. So the scoring's down, the threes are down, uh, steals are up, which is one area that I think I've been seeing a noticeable difference from him um, on the improvement end. Um, But then free throw efficiency is down. It's been kind of weird. Uh, a little bit there. That's been
1: so weird. This man was the best free throw shooter in the whole league. He beat out Steph Curry. And I'm watching him miss a free throw almost every game. It's wild.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that there's an adjustment because the league is more focused in on him. And I think last year, he was able to just kind of take teams by surprise off guard. He wasn't really the point of emphasis. And so now I think that he really is. Yeah. Um, And that and that makes... Yeah. And then also Clay Thompson struggling. I think, and then Wiggins too. Wiggins came, Wiggins started the season gangbusters, but he's kind of fallen back to the mean a little bit, which is what I sort of expected offensively. uh, As we kind of have talked about in the past about Andrew Wiggins, he goes on these sprees where he looks uber aggressive and uber confident, you know, scoring 20 points with ease, hitting open threes. And then other times where he just kind of disappears. Um, or settles for those, you know, tough mid-range shots, which he's more than capable of hitting. So right now in the offense through eight games, Pool is option two, whether he's whether he's starting or uh, coming off the bench. And when he comes off the bench and leads the second unit, there's hardly really any floor spacing around him. Jamichael Green seems reluctant to take open threes, um, or he's just not getting the same looks. It's really like Moses Moody is the only one who's out there on the floor with him who who's offering any type of floor spacing so it just seems like one um pools more focused defensively which i have seen noticeably he's he's working a lot harder on defense two other teams are more focused on him and three pools also trying to be a playmaker and get wiseman involved but that is easier said than done so um, the scoring's down, which I think is the eye test, right? When we look at him, we don't see the, the silky smooth, easy scoring that we saw last season, the microwave mm-hmm. off the bench, the quick 12 points, although he's done that a few times the game, um, against Detroit that was looking Ooh, like that a blowout loss. De-
1: that sequence in Detroit, Sam, when he scored like on a 12, nothing run all on his own, that was yeah. electric, very like Steph Curry-esque, but it's concerning to me that, well, it makes sense because he was starting that game, so he's laying his minutes alongside Steph and Drain everything. But it's concerning that that's like his big breakout moment when his role on this team is going to be the sixth man. I think that all makes sense. He's trying harder on defense. They're trying harder on defense. The, the opponents, they're focused in on him. The scouting report is out on him. This man has made big money in the league. He's going to get the attention. And he's trying to focus on being that playmaker. And I know you could tell from game one, Against the Lakers, that they're trying to make the pool Wiseman pick and roll. Like they thought that this was going to be great. And it's just kind of, it's probably just growing pains, but it's taken a little bit of the magic away from pool where he does feel like almost unstoppable as a scorer and kind of reckless. And instead, he's been playing more tentative than I expected when I was kind of hoping that he would take the bull by the horns. And maybe that's, you know, that's Kuragata figuring out the bench lineup. So when he is the sixth man, we know what's happening. He's got his rotation around him, but
0: interesting to see. Yeah. And I mean, from a playmaking standpoint, he's had three games with seven assists. The average is is buoyed down a little bit. He had only two assists against Miami, three games with four assists, one game with five. The turnovers are an issue. He's going to need to work on that. The three discontinued dribble turnovers – Um, you know, that's the point of emphasis from the NBA that they sent an email about like the night before whatever. So I think that, you know, he has shown a lot of promise and what the biggest concern is with him, which was defense. So I think for me, the offensive struggles, I'm not not quite as worried about because we've seen what he can do there. And I think for him, it's just a matter of making the adjustments to how he's being defended, his role on the team finding the line between when he needs to score and be aggressive versus be a playmaker, uh, when he can push the envelope and go, you know, one on five and and just take a quick three versus I agree with you other times he's gotten the ball and he's looked a little tentative. Like he just kind of catches it and passes it on. He's not really looking to exploit the lanes. So um, I think, you know, that'll be something that we'll continue to track and see um, how he grows and develops in that role. But obviously he's going to be a very pivotal part of this Warriors offense. Yeah. If the Warriors wanna well, be he, successful. Totally,
1: yeah, he has to be. I mean, he's make, I know he's not making the money yet, but he's a big money guy now in name, at least if the contract hasn't kicked in yet. And they're talking about him as a core player and he's gotta make that leap. It's, you know, all that's great, Sam. It's actually pretty cool. I mean, this is why we love the NBA, right? It's pretty cool that he gets to, we get to watch his growth from being The young kid on the team, the gunner, the cocksure person who's playing along all these champions, and he gets to be a little reckless, and he gets to just go for his because he knows the rest of the team has him. His role now is the sixth man. You're so right. He's the old guy. Like, he's the veteran with these rookies and with these young players. He's got to run the offense, make the right passes, and that could just be, you know, he's figuring out that role. It's different. It's different being the sixth man than it is being the off guard in the starting lineup and yep. different responsibilities. And we know Kerr likes to teach holistic basketball for sure. Right.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that's hard for Jordan because I'm sure Steve Kerr's like, "Hey man, I love your aggression, but sometimes you need to you need to make the more conservative play." And he's probably thinking in his head like, "Okay, well, I really just wanted to go 1 on 3 right there, but maybe I'm just going to wait because that didn't seem right." But then sometimes you end up making a mistake because you overthink it. So Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> Growing pains. Um, Clay Thompson, man. Or did you you Oof. said you had a you had a bigger question that you wanted to get into? I wanna
1: give Ooh, the big to... question. I mean, I don't know if if we wanna drop it in this early. It's what we're what people are talking about, what the streets are talking about, Sam.
0: What are yeah, we gonna man, do man. with
1: James Wiseman? <laughs> like, what's the deal with James Wiseman? Big Jim, this guy. I mean, we're talking about the bench in quotes. And I think most of the frustration, whether it's fair or unfair, that's maybe what we can talk about has been levied at this number two pick, this gigantic human being who like has been from a really strong preseason, right? Like a really exciting preseason has been remarkably underwhelming and the defensive issues seem staggering. And yeah, he's getting exposed much more than like a Kaminga or a Moody would, right? Because he's the center, but I think what's concerning about this last trip, he's like playing against young guys. He's playing against like Isaiah Stewart in Detroit. That's the same draft class, I think. And just seems like he's getting out muscled, out hustled, out worked. And that seems to be more unacceptable than, you know, a misrotation or anything like that. So I want to throw to you, what are you seeing from James Wiseman? Is it time to, at what point do we need to cut bait? Because Kaminga could play that role pretty easily, which is, I think, one of the reasons Kaminga's on the bench is because he's behind Wiseman right now. Just interesting things that the Warriors have to think about beyond just this team, but like, you know, the future and the ownership and everything like that.
0: Yeah. That's a good question for sure. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Warriors did pick up the option on James Wiseman. So they are at least looking to continue to see what this man is all about and what he can do. That doesn't mean that they might. Trade him in the future. I think you know. I had a very same thought process in that Detroit game, comparing him to Isaiah Stewart. It was a little um, concerning to see him get outworked. You see Wiseman, this huge guy, and they talked about all the the strength and muscle that he put on, and and all the work that he's been doing. But also consider, you know, Stewart, Isaiah Stewart has not missed nearly as much time as Wiseman has. Mm-hmm. um in that time so if you want to compare from like the same draft class stewards like in year three and Wiseman's kind of still like in year one maybe like yeah, year yeah, 1. He didn't play full season. yeah, but regardless um I think offensively when Wiseman gets a clean catch in the paint he finishes very smoothly and very fluidly um it's a high it's a high efficiency shot he's able to finish in traffic so that part of his game looks pretty good he's not settling for threes he's not like over dribbling and doing that type of stuff he was doing as a rookie so there's been growth and development that i've seen on that end of the floor defensively though um yeah he's (laughs) he's not like fouling on every play which is good but he's not offering much resistance it seems like opposing guards have no problem challenging at the rim him at the rim, even when he goes vertical and they just finish right over the top. Um, it seemed like in the preseason he had a lot of confidence. He was playing pretty well. Um, he was he was vertically defending vertically and and it seemed effective. So but all of this is compounded in the conversation of a struggling bench unit trying to win games. The starters are playing so well. Kavon Looney's just so good. So I never really felt like Wiseman was going to be in the position where he's even going to play 20 minutes. Um, I think they'd like him to be a lot more effective in the 15-minute role. Right. Well, now he's even played less less than 15 minutes. But I think they'd like for him to play like two stints in the second unit in the first half and the second half and be mildly effective on both ends of the floor and, and show some growth and development there, which he has yet to do. Um, but I think you just need to continue to roll him out there and he needs to learn from his mistakes and continue to get coached up with uh, Kavon Looney by his side. It was funny, you know, Dwight Howard recently said that he wanted to join the Warriors and, and he thinks he could teach James Wiseman a thing or two. And, and um, you know, I, I doubt that the Warriors end up using their their 15th roster spot to pick up James or, uh, Dwight Howard, but I thought that was a, a funny side note. Um Absolutely. Uh, um, it goes
1: to show how dire the straits are. When you see that come across the timeline, you're like, should we get Dwight Howard <laughs> make a difference <laughs> with James Wiseman? Uh Yeah, man, and, you know, you're so right. And I think there's nothing else you can do but play him some more. Like the Warriors, they have to do their due diligence and see if this guy is going to be good. Because if he is going to be good, he's going to be great. You know, like that's how high his potential is. That's how high his is how powerful his raw tools are but they've just got to see if like he can start catching the ball more if he has any defensive instincts at all and I think what Kerr's figuring out and trying to do is trying to protect him a little bit more because running him out with Jamichael Green and Kaminga or Moody and Poole it's just like he has no help at all even when right. it's a Pool, Poole you know and that's where it hurts to lose some of those veterans. You lose some of those bench guys we had last season, because right. that would have been such a more connected, solid bench for Wiseman to slot into. And it's really a shame uh, that we didn't get to see him at all last season.
0: 100%. And I think that, you know, we saw that a little bit in the, I want to say it was last night at Miami. He got three early fouls in the first, in the first half. And in Detroit, that was it, right? He got those three fouls and no more Wiseman. But against Miami, you know, Kerr gave him another stint and gave him another chance. So it's trust on yeah. both ends. And yeah, it's figuring out where to put in these young guys to give them a chance, but also allow them to be successful. Because when you just have this this all second unit lineups, it's, it's just been it's been rough and, and you know it makes sense we kind of take for granted the play of damian lee and toscano anderson who weren't mm-hmm. were, were far from exciting players i mean toscano anderson definitely had his exciting moments but these mm-hmm. were just solid role players who understood the schemes on both ends of the floor who didn't typically make mistakes who didn't typically make home run plays but they weren't going to botch a defensive um, assignment or a switch uh they'd move the ball the right way. They're not gonna rack up a bunch of turnovers. Just you need those guys to kind of fill the gaps when you've got a few a few new players who are trying to find their way. Um
1: absolutely, man. And I mean it's like all praises due to JTA and D. Lee because they got a lot of, you know, shrapnel thrown at them towards the end of last season when they were, you know, the outskirts of a championship rotation. But I think we're beginning to realize how valuable they were in terms of, yeah, solid rotation guys who, you know, are grown men who understand defense, but they also understand the Warriors system and spent years playing with these guys and being inside the locker room. And also they came into the game with energy, like they would change a game. Now, whether they win or how talented they were, that's, you know, for whoever else to decide, but they came in with energy. And sometimes just that was enough to give a little bit of an impact And, you know, maybe it's not fair to assume that these like 20 year olds, 19 year olds, 21 year olds would know how to bring that effort and energy and stay ready when they are called upon. But it's tough. Like the Warriors bench used to be one of the most exciting things to watch of the game, the celebrations and the heroics and the theatrics. And without those classic good bench guys, it's just these young guys who don't really know what to do. It's it's there's something missing a little bit and it's just going to take time to gel, but it is. This is the trade-off that they made that they like packaged up their entire bench from a championship team and brought in brand new people, whether they're, you know, the young ones to a world on the team, but not really playing or brand new players. So it's going to take a little while to figure out.
0: Yeah. And I think for, for JTA and, and Damian Lee, they had to fight their way into the league. They weren't, they weren't drafted you know, they weren't first, first or second round draft picks. They came up through Santa Cruz. They had to,
1: they had to earn their
0: way onto the floor. So they had to chip on their shoulder and they're a little bit older with a little bit more experience. So hundred percent, I think you're spot on with these young guys, you know, lottery pick, first round pick, whatever, second, second pick. Where do you conjure that? energy and drive to be like yeah because it was kind of handed to you a little bit like i'm sure that they had to they worked really hard to you know get to where they are today but different than you know some kind of these uh blue collar these blue collar nba players (laughs) i'll call it.
1: no it's so true like the difference between the g leaguers that this is their first shot at real money versus truly obviously like came from different circumstances not saying anything like that but young like late teenagers who are getting a lot of money immediately on draft day and worried much more about their reputation than actually making it in the league and I just want to see some of that like verb like I want to see Wiseman like really take this stuff personally it seems like he takes it personally in the wrong way but it's (laughs)
0: like I'm
1: like I I don't understand this man keeps his arms up and just doesn't do anything and then just kind of shrugs his shoulders and runs back on offense. Like, I, I would rather, I'm, maybe I'm talking crazy right now, but I would rather him foul out because he's like really playing defense and being physical than all of these like turnstile layups where he's making Duncan Robinson look like freaking Allen Iverson out there. Yeah, that one.
0: <laughs> God. You have Duncan Robinson score like two points in five minutes against the Sacramento Kings. And then meanwhile, he comes out against us, filling in for an injured Tyler Hero. And he's like playing the pick and roll. He's driving. He's dishing. Yeah, he's seriously. hitting threes. He's doing everything. A guy that was like just known as like a catch and shoot shooter with literally the, the book on him is to run him off the line and force him to put the ball on the floor. And it's like he's putting the ball on the floor and thriving against us. It's like, oh, man.
1: Yeah. And you know, what a great example too, because when you've got great shooters like that, that's team defense, that's team awareness to be able to stop, you know, the Duncan Robinsons, the Kyle Korver types from bombing from three. And that's just something that the Warriors don't have right now. They don't have the same kind of collection of intelligent defenders. And that's both personnel, but it's also chemistry and it's just going to have to take time to build up.
0: Yeah. And I think there's, there's a little bit of, of, well, I didn't put this expectation on the team, but I'm sure a lot of people felt like the Warriors should have a better record now than than what they have. But you look at the start last year, you had a healthy Andre Iguodala, you had Damian Lee and Toscano Anderson, you had Otto Porter Jr. and GP2, who, by the way, both of those guys have yet to debut for their new team, yeah. Otto Porter <laughs>
1: Potter Porter's expected to
0: play today for Toronto for the first time. GP2 is still, I don't think he's been cleared for Portland. So even if we had retained those guys, if you kind of go alternate reality, um, neither of them would be available and playing for us and would be arguably in the same position that we are now. Uh, But I think Iguodala is the big missing piece because he is that kind of veteran glue guy who puts people in the right places on the floor, who just kind of settles everyone down. And um, you know, he's been very cryptic as to when he's gonna he's gonna make his debut. He he meant he made a comment that him and him and the uh, training staff have a date targeted, but we don't know what that date is. So I think that's a really big piece. Obviously, he's not gonna play a substantial role minutes-wise for the Warriors, but just you see in this lack of continuity and chemistry when you get out of the the starting lineup, having somebody like Iguada who can come in and then, you know, you get a healthy DiVincenzo. Um, Jermichael Green gets maybe put in uh, a little bit more, you know, continues to build on his role and what he's doing. And then you can start building on something when you throw in a Moody, you throw in a Wiseman or you throw in a pool to that kind of more core group. But right now it's like just kind of a free for all. Um, I mean, Ty Jerome's out there on the two way looking great, making plays, um working hard you know he's definitely coming with some intensity mm-hmm. in edge but I mean he's on a two-way he's not There's not really a future for him um on this roster as um uh, at least what I think in the long term I mean you've got Ryan Rawlings who who is still um just a rookie and kind of finding his way but I think that that's the role that they'd like for him to be in the future is the as the third guard
1: yeah, totally. I, the um, Ty Jerome, that man's been balling a little bit. Could not believe it. The the way he's been playing on this road trip, obviously getting more run with Dante DiVincenzo out, but Anthony Lamb also popped in. I think that was in Detroit. Like he was activated for one game and it's exactly what we were talking about. These guys are coming in and they play coherent basketball. They're making smart decisions. They're playing with force and with energy and just waiting to see that from the young guys. I think having Iguodala in the lineup, just like, even if it was just for like 10 minutes, like coming in to just like store up the bench every now and then he's so smart and he's so talkative and he commands so much respect that just having someone else who knows what they're doing and has the authority to announce it on the court, you know, a real floor general that would make such a big difference.
0: Yep. Um, all right, let's let's get into some team stats here. So eight games in. We'll start with good three-point attempts. Warriors are currently leading the league at 41.9 three-point attempts per game. They are making 14 and a half of those, which is fifth. Uh percentage-wise, that comes out to about 34.5%, which is 20th. Mm. Free throws, mm. they're at 80% as a team. Pretty good. That's seventh best. Free throw attempts, 17.8. That's 24th. worst. Uh points, 117 and a half. That's ninth in the league. Rebounds, uh just under 43. That's 21st in the league. Assists, 29, that's third best. Uh blocks, four and a half. That's 22nd. Turnovers, 16 and a half. That's 27th. Uh, (laughs) Personal fouls, 23 per game, that's 26th worst, and then fouls drawn, 19.8, that's 23rd. So three-point attempts and assists and free-throw percentage have been some of the calling cards early on for the Warriors. Turnovers, which has always been the Achilles heel for the Warriors, has obviously plagued them the most, and then fouls and fouls drawn. And then also rebounding. The Warriors were one of the best defensive rebounding teams last year. That was one of their calling cards throughout the season. It got away from them a little bit in in uh, March when they had that uh horrible skid of of losing games. Um yeah. Also but it's going to be it's going to be hard to win stuff. games. It's going to be hard to win games when you're turning the ball over so much and committing so many fouls, sending the other team to the free throw line and then not uber efficient offensively either
1: yeah you know absolutely so let's walk through it the three-point percentage and the three-point attempts they're definitely chucking up a lot of threes they're not making them at a clip that is worthy of the Warriors I'd say Steph is I mean Steph goodness gracious is just the most tremendous man on the planet and has been playing out of his mind but his percentage you know in the last in this little skid hasn't been quite where it is I think it's more clay and pool both are shooting underneath. So hopefully sure. that'll come up. But right now, Sam, it's like they're, they're shooting so quickly. They're not having as many crisp, like warriors, classic flow, offensive poss- possessions. You've got a lot of guys who are like the first look they get, they're going for. I mean, clay is like, patient zero for this right like this is how he gets himself going and we can trust that'll work itself out like once he kind of feels like he's at a steady pace in terms of making his shots he'll start playing within the offense a little bit more you saw it a bit more in Miami in the second half uh but even guys like Wiggins is playing with so much confidence and he's shooting really quickly with no hesitation and that I'm happy about you just got a lot of players a lot of you know guys on the bench trying to make a mark and they're not getting settled into that Warriors groove. So I'm hoping some smarter shots are going to come as they spend more time playing together. I think that's part of this like championship hangover that they have is that they all think that they're awesome and they all want to make the shots, but they're not doing the same connective tissue that we know they can.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, defense and offense are connected even more so for the Warriors when your, and Draymond Green recently had some words about this, about the Warriors' fouling issues and how that limits them offensively when you're constantly sending the other team to the free throw line, you're going up against set defenses. We know this is no, this is no revelation. The Warriors have not typically been, at least regular season Warriors, have not typically been highly effective offensively in the half-court set playoffs that's mm-hmm. another story they you know take their game to a different level you just look at the starting unit whatever but regular season hoops um has not been a friend half court offense, half court offense for the warriors and so you got to stop fouling you got to get some stops get out in transition get back to the you know tic-tac-toe plays the wide open corner threes those are the the high percentage shots but yeah when you're you know, one pass fire away because there's nothing else going for you. Um, those are the low percentage shots that the other team just rebounds and then runs a fast break back on you. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. And this is why basketball is just the most beautiful sport on the planet is because it's all, you know, cyclical and circular where the obviously the defense affecting the offense because then you have to play against set defenses. But this offense with the quick shots, then they run it down and you're not in the set defense position too. You're fouling. They got to kind of find a rhythm that they haven't really been able to get pretty much instantly one of the starters and a bench player comes in. It's amazing how yep. quickly it kind of discombobulates.
0: Give me your thoughts on Clay Thompson real quick. Struggling thus far, playing about 26 minutes per game, 13 points, uh, shooting 35% from the field. A couple, you know, two and a half assists, 2.63s, but just kind of numbers down across the board.
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of the things I remember we were talking about this the last time we potted Sam and we were saying like, okay, so are the Warriors going to be better this season than they were in their championship year? And one of the things about, yes, they would was the assumption that clay would be better because it's a full year with him. He has it under his belt but he's starting off so slow i'm not i'm not too concerned he had the whole preseason where he wasn't playing too much he's getting into a rhythm but it's just with clay specifically we saw this last season too when he's out of rhythm he can have a tendency to hijack the offense and take the whole team out of rhythm and that can be especially when we're already having tough times with the bench when we have those possessions that kind of get taken away that's brutal i think he's going to be okay i think he's working himself back into game shape i thought my that game against miami he lit up from one of the first times of the season in that second half where it was real all of a sudden he went from having a pretty bad game to he's shooting 50 percent on threes so i think it's gonna happen but it's tough to watch right now and i hope he's starting to figure out the be- more ways to play within the offense that'll unlock him.
0: Yeah. I think we had kind of assumed that, you know, he has a full off season under his belt to, to a- approach this season, you know, with an even better mentality and not have to be ramping up. Well, he didn't scrimmage or do any pickup during the summer. So <laughs> he didn't really have much of an off season. Yeah, uh, He's still getting his legs under him and it shows a lot of his shots are short and Clay Thompson is, you know, it, it this version of Clay thus far, his effectiveness on the court seems to be very tied to how efficient and how much he's scoring, um, how efficient mm-hmm. he is shooting and in, in his scoring. His defense has been sufficient. I think there have been times where he's come up with good plays, and there's also been times where he's been beat. So I think it's kind of, you know, it's still work to be made there. I think that's obviously the the hardest side of the floor coming back from injuries on the defensive end moving your feet the quickness and all of that um and it's gonna be a really long year if this is the version of clay we get for the entire season because you're right he becomes a volume shooter he shoots you know 15 plus shots only hitting like five of them he takes a lot of threes and he can either shoot you in into or out of games um if that's the case but all it takes and and also to be fair for Clay Thompson even before he was injured he was notorious mm-hmm. for having exceptionally slow starts to the season. Yeah. I remember he had months um where he was like shooting 30% in the month of November, 30 35% in the month of December. So this isn't the first time he's gone on a cold streak, but this version of this young warriors it we don't have the stomach to have all these young players figuring out the figuring out the job on the fly, you know, Jordan Poole figuring out his new role and and the offense is really being carried by Curry, um, Wiggins at times and Draymond Green. Like that, it's, we're seeing the result of that and we're not playing well defensively. We're turning the ball over and we're committing a lot of fouls. There's just such a small margin of error to beat any team, even the Detroit Pistons or, or Charlotte, you know, it's just going to be tough. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, with Clay, did you see that that clip that went viral? He was responding to Charles Barkley's comments?
0: Yes. Yes, I did.
1: Yeah. I mean, this man, like, it's clear that Clay's always had, like, a lot of emotion. Like, even before the injury, we heard about, like, how under, like, in practice, like, on the court, this man's, like, the, like just as competitive and fiery as Draymond when it comes to it. But you know, he's so much more open and vulnerable to the, you know, us, the public, to the fans, to the media. And it was so striking to hear, you know, I thought it was one of the most like emotionally affecting things I've seen in sports where it's a pretty common thing. People say that all the time about great players. They're like, Oh, he's not the same. People say it about LeBron this year, you know, like, Oh, he's not the same. He's never going to be the same. And to have such an innocuous comment from a, you know, a talking head person be taken so personally I just want to make sure that like it must be so tough to go through what he's going through and to feel like he's back, but he's actually not all the way back yet. And you've got this young guy right behind him who clearly wants that spot, you know, like he wants to be Glow wants to be a starter and he's playing with the starters in Detroit and it's out like his best game of the season by far. I was almost not actually Sam, but I was almost a little happy that they lost that game. Cause I was like, what is this going to do to clay? They lose all of these games and then he's out of the lineup. Jordan fool is the starter. And it's like, they, the Warriors get their mojo back again. Now there's still so much more wrong with the team than just clay. So I don't think he has to worry about that, but it's a lot to deal with. And I just hope I know Steph Curry's one of the best leaders alive. Like they're going to be able to handle this. I think he's going to snap out of it, but. A lot of things for a defending champion to
0: deal with to start off. Yeah, and you had that that first career ejection from Clay Thompson. Yeah, exactly. Against Phoenix, but
1: he wants to be back where he's at so bad, and I think he can be. I do not think the Warriors win the title without him last year. Like they don't even make it out of the second round without his game, like his epic historical game six against Memphis. Yep. So they need him. You know, and that's the thing. When you have a core six, they've all got to be great if your bench is going to be like this. So it's, you know, they got to they gotta figure all that out. I think Clay's going to get better. I thought Miami, he started off, even though he started off shooting slow, he was making plays. He didn't immediately throw up the first shot of the game that he tends to always do when he's like ready to get going. He's starting to play within more of the offense and came alive in the second half.
0: I think he's going to getting better the nice adjustment from clay in that second second half run against miami that you're talking about was adjustments mm-hmm. he gets run off the line you know one dribble in take a tough two money right just let take what the defense gives you don't just feel like you need to put up the first three pointer as soon as the ball touches your hands because you're so eager to put points on the board if they're going to run you off the line and give you Open mid range, take those shots because you're very effective as a mid range shooter. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think that's part of this. That's the patience.
1: Yeah, the patience. I think it's just part of this championship hangover. Like everyone's just ready to like throw it around, you know, and like throw their rings around, you know, lift the fingers and crush these teams. You know, Steph, can have like Steph, the most selfless player of all time. Even he had his hero ball moment in Charlotte where it's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm the defending champion. I'm going to crush this. I think they're just take they're realizing it's going to take a little bit more that they can't just like joke around and beat Detroit on the other end of a back-to-back. Every team's hungry. Every team's ready to prove themselves. And they've got this, this new team with this brand new bench, truly like a brand new rotation, at least for the regular season has to prove itself too.
0: All good points. So on the on the topic of hunger and proving yourself, you know, there's there's one elephant in the room that we haven't talked about at all, and that's Draymond Green.
1: <laughs> hunger, rage, yeah. Dray, don't, what what do you think, Sam? How do you, how have you rated Draymond so far?
0: I have been thoroughly impressed with Draymond uh, coming out very aggressive offensively, but in the right in the right ways and at the right times. Um, Quite a few games scoring in double figures. The free throws have me a little bit confused. It seems like he's lost his free throw stroke. I mean, I was looking at the numbers. Last season, he finished shooting 66% from the foul line. But he had a a few seasons where he was shooting like 80 plus percent. So that's something that's confused Mm -hmm. me a little bit. But to see Green um, comfortable and confident attacking the rim, you know, the the fake handoff play where he just goes back door and um, he just he's looking for his offense more and in the right spots. And that's been a noticeable improvement. So um, through the first eight games, he's averaging nine points, six rebounds, 5.4 assists, a steal and a block. Um, <laughs> last season, he was at seven and a half points, seven rebounds, seven assists, uh, one and a half steals at the block. So, uh, you know, one and a half points, not a huge difference, but also it is right. when We're talking about all of these offensive struggles when when you've got somebody who's really just we've just kind of chalked it up that Draymond's not going to be an offensive threat anymore. If he's able to score 10 points per game, that's big. We need those points because he's usually efficient when he's shooting and he's not it's not taking a bunch of threes. Um, it's attacking the rim. So I like that. I think defensively he's been pretty good as well. Um you know rebounds assists are down a little bit. What do you got? What are your thoughts on the Green?
1: Yeah, no, I think first of all I'm thinking wow. Can you find a better 97611? One, one? <laughs> like like that's like the wildest box score stat line and yet it's amazing how good he is. I totally agree. I think he's been, you know, After Wiggins' swoon on this road trip and that back-to-back, Draymond's been easily the second-best player on this team, and it is, uh, like, really exciting to see how good he is offensively. And you're right, it's just two points different But there's such a difference in the mentality and the focus and the attack he has. All the points he's getting, he is going for. Like he's reading the defense and he's making the right call to drive to the hole, to get to the line, to shoot the open shot. Whereas before it was he refused to shoot. And then sometimes he would bail out a play. And, you know, he may have made it, he may didn't. But now it's so much more intentional and it unlocks so much more on the offense and he feels like it feels like he's an actual threat.
0: Like I think re- not reluctant shooting or passive shooting, but aggressive shooting.
1: Totally. And it feels like he's making threes too. Like I know he's not making a lot of them, but it seems like he takes like a couple a game and he makes one. So it that's pretty exciting to see if we can kind of see this Renaissance continue when it comes to defense in that's harder to measure right because it's so interconnected but I do think and he said as much this team's defense is not good and that's a little bit on him he's got to be the team captain there he's got to yell at folks to get around he's got to communicate and it hasn't just been the bench with the bad defense like these starters are coming in and can't get a stop they're doing they're trading back and forth shots at the beginning of the game they don't I thought the Miami start was so great because they played with a clear defensive intensity and then that evaporated when the bench came in. But we need to see that much more so. And last year when we got off to this amazing 18 to two start, that was clearly like Draymond being like, I'm the best defensive player in the league and this team's the best defense. And that's going to be our calling card. And they were all playing so much more connected. So, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's the punch that's changed maybe how much he can yell at certain people. I'm not going to say anything like that. I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> it's tricky to figure out. And hopefully that will figure itself out soon.
0: Yeah. I think one thing is clear. If, uh, if, if they had suspended Draymond for eight games to start the season or something like that, I don't think we'd have a single win, honestly, with, with the way that this team has played and the holes that we've seen with the second unit, um, and how much has fallen for the starting group to really carry, to really carry mm-hmm. us. Because um, there was a time in the summer around the time of the punch, and we didn't know how it was going to be handled. Was he going to be suspended? Uh, was he going to be available for opening night? He was going to, you know, take time, you know, personal time to figure out what ha- figure out his own his own issues. It was like, oh, maybe Kaminga will start. Maybe Kaminga. Mm-hmm well, maybe this will be Kaminga's time to grow into this role, and Draymond Green's kind of a figment of the past. It's like, nope, Draymond is Draymond. He does so many things that are so important for this team, offensively and defensively, um, and Kaminga's a second-year player that that's still got a lot to learn. Doesn't totally. mean that that can't happen in the future, but it just really cemented that, um, yeah, Draymond Green uh makes winning plays and he makes Warriors basketball possible for all of the intangibles and little things that he does on both sides of the floor. That's
1: so true man. And you go to think like he had a not great finals, right? Like he had a tough end of the year because he was dealing with his back injury. And then in the finals, the iconic game four where Kerr fits him for a little bit and Looney was, you know, just as good a big man in a lot of situations. When the punch happens, it was so easy to imagine a future of, oh, the Warriors without Draymond. Like, this actually could be a thing and maybe it's not worth it anymore. And he has completely impaled that, like, imaginative future away. This team would be nothing without him. Like, not even close to a championship contender. And that's Joe Lakeham's problem. That ain't my problem. But <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that he's playing really well. And it seems like with all of the extension talk, everything going on, that actually if you know, Jordan pulled chill with it and the team seems to have handled it, this might have panned out the best possible way because Draymond has to be amazing and he has to prove himself. So he can't complain about the about the contracts or anything because he knows he messed up. So he's coming out and playing like it so far, like really showing his value to the team and to the league. And that's all we can ask for is contract year Draymond balling out of his mind.
0: Yep, it's going to be, you know, still eight games in. A lot of things can happen. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Steve Kerr does. You know, Warriors have a league-high 15 back-to-backs this season. Uh, We already had had one of them Um, just recently. We're about to go into another one Thursday, Friday, back to back um, at Orlando at New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So, so far, Clay Thompson was the only one to be rested in the first back to back. Steve Kerr said he's going to handle his starters accordingly, whatever that means. You have to think that as the season wears on, you know, Steph's playing upwards of 35 minutes. Almost feels mm-hmm. like by necessity you got to think that Curry's gonna get some rest. You got to think Green's gonna get some rest. I know Kavon Looney wants to come out and play every game again, but you got to mm-hmm. think maybe he's gonna get some rest. But then when you look at how how the starters are really the only thing that's keeping us from from getting blown out every game, can you can you afford to rest the starters on back to backs more than Clay Thompson more than you absolutely have to? Uh, if you want to continue to win regular season games. And so I think, you know, yeah. this team needs to grow a little bit and maybe the return of DiVincenzo helps. Maybe, you know, Steve Kerr says that a lot of these issues with the second unit and rotations, are going to get worked out. He's not really worried. Of course, it, you know, Steve Kerr's is not going to come out and say, I'm really worried. This team's got a lot of problems. Yeah. You know, Bob Myers, this what did you do? Terrible. <laughs> yeah. He's not Absolutely. gonna say that, but at the same time, I think that a lot of the issues that we're talking about here with this team are correctable. This is growth and development. This isn't fit. This isn't like the Lakers and and we've got Westbrook and what do we do with him and, and how do we utilize mm-hmm. him? And do we have the wrong players on this team? You know, you've got all the right pieces. It's just figuring out how to plug and play. And I think worst case come, you know, February trade deadline time if we're really before really far behind in the standings and really feeling like things aren't going the way that we want it to. We still have that one open roster spot. You know, Bob Myers is a shrewd GM and could potentially pull off some type of trade, bring in another free agent piece to, to um, strengthen that second unit in that depth. Um, But I do think that we're not going to see anything happen as far as trades with, Kamingo, Wiseman, Moody, you know, or even Patrick Baldwin Jr., Ryan Brawlings. I do think that there is a clear commitment to developing the talent that this team has. And um, I just don't see them trading any of those those pieces away because that would likely mean that they're not playing well and they're not playing effectively. So then you're kind of getting pennies on the dollar back in return. Um, yeah.
1: Exactly. No, this team is not going to part with any of their young players like they have made their bed. They're going to lie in it. I think, you know, you really brought up, you know, maybe these things will get worked out. I'm sure they will, even with James Wiseman, which is just like tough to watch at times, like give the guy more reps, get him accustomed to the speed of the game even more so and the pressures of what he's dealing with, having to get used to it. But the slow start is concerning because of exactly what you said. This team is old. These starters are old. They need to rest. And it's going to be harder to do that and rest all these back-to-back games when you can't pick up the easy wins against Charlotte and Detroit. So they've got to kind of get a modicum of balance here and then rest up so they're healthy for the playoffs too. And that's you yep. know a lot, some fun things to figure out, some fun things to figure out.
0: Yeah. And if you compare last season, you know, we had the 18 and 2 start that obviously had us all on cloud nine. And then in um, early spring, dropped five games in a row. We had a stretch of 15 games. We just looked god awful, where it just mm-hmm. looked like, where is this team going to find their way in the postseason? And how are they even going to finish in the top four in the West? So if this is that stretch now at the start of the season to then get rolling, for you know the next three-fourths of the season i'm on board with that you know i think i think it comes without saying that there's going to be growing pains with this team um so i think if we go three and five again in the next eight games and and we're back here talking about it i think we're going to have a different conversation to be have to be had uh based on <laughs> on who's playing and what's happened in that time but um i think you know small sample size only eight games and uh can only really go up from here i think
1: <laughs> totally no i mean hopefully we look back in like this back-to-back loss against charlotte in detroit was like the nadir of yeah. the regular season because it was when we were figuring it all out uh but I, I love that attitude it's gonna go up from here and i think they're gonna figure it they're gonna figure it all out i trust in Steph. i trust in the team so they've just got to ride out this regular season and see what they got with their young guys
0: all right man you got any uh closing closing thoughts or you got any you got any games you're planning to go to at chase
1: no games uh, yes can't wait to see this new team closing thoughts man they better pummel orlando is all i have to say this i want to see this team come out hungry and focused and ready to frankly beat up like a young lottery team
0: that orlando team is interesting too they're starting like Three power forward centers like Bull, Bull, Wendell Carter Jr. You got Franz Wagner is like a six-seven forward playing point guard. Um, Powell Banchero, the number one pick. They they got a lot of interesting pieces on that team. That's going to be a weird. Uh, that's going to be a weird group to go out and against. And how are they going to defend Steph Curry, Clay Thompson? <laughs> yeah. Four?
1: have Bull Bull run around chasing Steph. I'd be very excited for them to throw out their gigantic all-center lineup and have the Warriors run out the pool party lineup with Draymond at the five and just let's see what makes a difference. Let's see let's see what happens. But It should be fun. And let's see if Kaminga gets any minutes to ball out against Franz Wagner Wagner and show that he actually deserves to be picked ahead of him too. That'd be nice to see as a Warriors fan.
0: 100%, man. Well, Corey... It's always a pleasure having you come on the show. Hopefully next time we'll be better than 12th in the West.
1: There we go. Let's get back up the standings, man. Ready to see that top three, top three seed. But Always great to talk to you, Sam. Go dub. Can't wait to see the season unfold.
0: And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast. A sports ethos presentation. Please give me a Follow over at Twitter if you haven't already. That's at SD Orlick. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Catch you later.